people talk about the black sucks of 1919, but I'll be a suck mule if they were half as crooked as the dagger-a-goons from 17 we dubbed the Texas trash cans. Those Astro Boy wonders were sitting in the catbird seat mowing down hurlers until old Mickey Fierce exposed their swindling flip-flam. Oh, doctor, what a rhubarb. Mr. Manfred may not have confiscated the pennant from those charlatans, but if it were up to me, those Houston spacemen would be out of here. The biggest story in all of baseball this offseason has been the Houston Astros cheating scandal. This is, without a doubt, the biggest controversy to rock baseball since steroids. If you're not sure what I'm talking about, please allow me to explain. You're listening to the wrong podcast. As of this moment, the punishment for said crimes is as follows. Astros GM Jeff Lunau, manager A.J. Hinch, manager Alex Cora, and almost manager Carlos Beltran have been suspended for one year, and the Astros have been stripped of their first and second round draft picks for 2020 and 2021. Additionally, Houston was fined $5 million. This so-called unprecedented punishment has been successful in quieting some of the outrage, but is it really enough? Considering the lifetime bans doled out to Pete Rose and members of the 1919 Chicago White Sox for their own involvement in cheating, it seems to me that the 2017-2018 Houston Astros got off easy. No players have been fined or even suspended, and the World Series that the Astros won in 2017 will not be vacated in spite of their crimes. As a fan, I must admit I'm disappointed. I understand that cheating is intrinsically woven into the fabric of baseball. You needn't look any further than stolen bases to see that. I also understand that the Houston Astros are not the first or only team to steal signs. My own beloved Blue Jays have been accused of the same indiscretions. Lest we forget the mysterious man in white. Ralph Waldo Emerson once said, It is impossible for a man to be cheated by anyone but himself. The author of Where's Waldo brings up a good point here. Perhaps the humiliation of being associated with this scandal for the rest of your career or even your life is punishment enough. That scarlet letter certainly has done nothing for Barry Bonds or Mark McGuire's legacies. I ask again, though, is it enough? Edmund Burke, distant relative of our own Matthew Burke, I'm guessing I've done zero research, he once said, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. Meaning virtually every single player on those Houston Astros rosters were complicit in this crime. Can you suspend an entire team? Probably not. But you can give them a scarlet letter. Dear listeners, baseball fans, and MLB executives, I'd like to present the following for your consideration. I humbly submit that all players involved in this scandal should now and forever be forced to walk out to the mound or to the plate to one song and one song only. Please enjoy the sweet sounds of Todd Rucker. Shame. Shame. 
Shame. Shame. Shame. Shame. Shame. Are you a Fortune 500 company that's struggling to relate to the common man? Are you looking for a more grassroots style advertising campaign? Well, I've got good news for you. Today is your lucky day. We here at Chatting Practice are now accepting new sponsorships. What could possibly be gained by advertising with a podcast that has only managed to put out 10 episodes since March 2018? I'm so glad you asked. What separates chatting practice from all the other podcasts you could advertise with is not what we do, but rather what we don't do. For example, for a reasonable price, chatting practice will be willing to make IBM our flagship sponsor and not begin every future episode by reminding our audience that you sold computers to the Nazis during the war. For the price of a cup of coffee a day, Chatting Practice could produce a hilarious song for every episode about how much we love our iPhones that definitely does not include lyrics about making billions off the backs of starving children vis-a-vis slave labor. Do you see where we're going with this? Don't be a wise guy and choose Chatting Practice, where our policy is, you come to us, don't make us come to you, capiche? Once a pastime whose participation was restricted to the utmost of sports nerds, nowadays fantasy sports is everywhere. And whether it's bragging rights, an actual trophy, or even old-fashioned moolah, the stakes can be high. That's why folks are desperate for fantasy advice. Well, it just so happens that both of us Leslies are extraordinarily gifted sports experts, true oracles of fantasy wisdom, and so we've decided to take letters from you our loyal but often inept listeners in the sort of philanthropic gesture that chatting practice is likely famous for. Welcome to Dear Mr. Fantasy. Dear Mr. Fantasy, I'm the commissioner of my fantasy baseball league and faced with a tough decision. It was recently discovered that two teams in our league a pair which had been accused of collusion on multiple occasions, were being run by the same individual under different names. Now, should this individual be punished? On the one hand, the other owners are out for this guy's blood and expect severe reprisal. On the other hand, this individual is me. Thoughts? Thank you so much for writing in. Matt and I are always really excited to hear from our fans. In regards to your letter, I feel you should proceed as follows. All offending parties should immediately be stripped of no less than two first-round picks. After that, the guilty should be stripped of any titles or awards they may have accrued during the affected period. Finally, those bastards should be stripped of their clothes, tarred, and of course, feathered. 
If these terms do not satisfy the rest of the league's bloodlust, may I add, a good old-fashioned gelding usually does the trick. <laughs> Go nuts with it. Also, keep fit and have fun. Dear Mr. Fantasy, A couple years ago, my wife was complaining about my obsession with fantasy football. To be nice, I invited my wife to join the league so she could understand how much fun fantasy sports are. Cut to present day, my wife is not only surviving in my league, she's thriving. Unfortunately, with that, she's become quite the trash talker. How do I tell her to shove it up her blank without hurting her feelings or affecting my marriage? Yours truly, Winless in Seattle. Okay, so I'm a little confused by the scenario here because uh, Winless claims to be married, but the content of his letter suggests that he's a tiny whiny little koi baby, and I didn't know that actual babies could get married. Last time I checked Winless, a little trash talk never hurt anybody, and if you can't handle it, maybe fantasy sports is just a little too fantastically intense for you, and you'd be better off playing peekaboo or where's my nose. Anyways, I've got two suggestions. Number one, rather than lashing out, you be extra special nice to your lady, and maybe she'll give you some fantasy pointers because it sounds like you suck, and not just on a soother. Number two, you goddamn bear down, start doing some serious research, start watching all 22 game tape, look for loopholes in the league rules, subscribe to some hardcore analytics websites, start dangling one-sided trades in front of the least knowledgeable players in your league, and you fucking live on the waiver wire 24-7 until you've absolutely crushed your wife, her spirit, and everything in this world that ever meant anything to her. You categorically obliterate that woman, leaving only the faintest whiffs of mushroom cloud, and then we'll see if she ever dares to mock you again. A little fantasy news of our own here. I, I don't know if it's been mentioned. I'm sure it has. Matt and I are uh, part of a fantasy basketball league, and uh, Matt was uh, wise... Enough, I guess. Wise or not? Wise. We'll see. I would the say point wise. being, maybe his favorite draft pick. Yeah, yeah. Zion yeah. Williamson has returned to action. Uh, the NBA is excited. The world is excited. Uh, with some trepidation, there was some time. I mean, we had to teach this guy how to walk again. That's a little bit concerning. He was given what the first two months off of work. A little bit concerning, but his debut was something to note. Certainly. Uh, if you didn't watch it, let me just quick, quickly sum it up. He played 18 minutes, the first 12 of which you can just fast forward through. Uh, and then he started to get going. And then there were three minutes of basketball where he scored 17 straight points for the New Orleans Pelicans. Three minutes and seven seconds, I believe it was, uh, to finish with a line of 22, 7, and 3. Uh, let me check those blocks. Zero. So 22, 7, and 3. Matt, what does that tell you about your future with Zion? And let me just add that he has played two games since, uh, totaling about 30 minutes for about 36 points. What do you think about the future? Is it bright for the Pelicans? It's extraordinarily bright. I mean, I think he's picked up where he left off in the preseason. I mean, I watched a bunch of his highlights in the preseason. And first of all, just him owning Rudy Gobert as though Gobert was not a two-time defensive player of the year. 
Uh, and yeah, just his quickness around the hoop is insane. I think they've said at every level he plays, it's like, well, you know, he's a man amongst boys, but when he gets to the NBA, you know, it'll, that'll, the quality of play will catch up with him. No, no, it hasn't. He's incredible. His passing is superb. He's not just a physical freak who can't play basketball. He's got a beautiful, uh, beautiful vision yeah. and a uh, feel Court for vision. the game. Uh, and it seems like a, a fairly good basketball IQ, if that's not really the same thing. Uh, load management was some concern, but uh, as I'm reading here, it went from 18 minutes to 21 minutes to 27 minutes. So I think he'll be full-time, essentially, very quickly. Um, having said that, then, because I agree with your assessment of those first three games, I think they're very encouraging and promising, so long, I guess, as he can stay healthy. Assuming he stays healthy for the rest of the season, do you think it's possible that the Pelicans can squeak into eighth place and make the playoffs? Yes, I do think that's possible. I thought you were going to ask, do I think he has a chance at Rookie of the Year? And I was oh, saying okay. no because, <laughs> is that your next question? No, no, I'm uh, glad though. Only Let's because, give it credit. Only so. because John Morant has been so good yeah. and has played almost half a season already. I, say, I think it's just too yeah. far ahead for him to catch up. But uh, yeah, hey. I definitely think they can because Lonzo has really come on over the past uh, month as well. Mm -hmm. He's playing fantastic. Brandon Ingram is sensational. You're welcome, Doyle, for me <laughs> trading him to you for basically nothing at the beginning of the season. Okay. Well, I got Lonzo, I guess. We're but, all learning. Uh, this is our first year of basketball. My second, but our first year. Yes, so. yes. <laughs> You're uh, hearing this and laughing at us. Please cut us some slack. Sure, sure. Uh, yeah, the Pelicans are actually a super exciting team to watch now. I find they're one of already become one of my go-to teams when uh, when they're on TV. I think uh, it, it, this could be a quick turnaround for the New Orleans Pelicans, or rebuild, I should say. Not so much a turnaround, because they were virtually back to zero after lo losing Davis. But the trades they make and the draft, obviously getting so lucky in the draft, I mean... Uh, well, we're just so happy that we're not talking about New York Nick Zion Williamson oh, right yeah. now. Oh, my God. Well, first round of the playoffs, it's possible Lakers-Pelicans. That would that be would something. Be, especially if the Pelicans come on strong and they're not your normal eighth seed because they've got Zion kicking into full gear. So uh, we'll see. I think well, J.J. Redick on the Pelicans, I think he's got a streak of 12 years on teams that have made the playoffs. I don't know if he's ever been on a team that hasn't. So they're going to have to pull it together just for his sake. That's impressive. Look it I up. Was not aware of that. <laughs> I don't have to. You just told me. And now a Super Bowl prediction from your fearless host. He promises to be right or he will eat his hat. I, uh, I don't predict things. Well, I don't have a crystal ball, Matt, but I think the smart money here is the San Francisco 49ers, and here's why. I think if you look at the list of Super Bowl winners for at least the last two or three decades, you will notice one thing, one common sort of stat that sticks out about all those teams, and that is defense. And I hate to uh, fill your head with old adages and cliches, but defense wins Super Bowls. Um, and people are knocking Jimmy Garoppolo because he barely threw the ball in the NFC oh, Championship game. Uh, yeah, exactly. If you think that's a sign of weakness, <laughs> then you don't know what game you're watching. 
uh, as I mentioned several times to uh, our good friend Colin Doyle as we were watching the game, you don't stop running the ball if you can run the ball. You absolutely never throw the ball if you don't have to because it just doesn't make sense. It's so much easier to hang on to the ball, not turn over the ball if you're not flicking it in the air downfield. You know what I mean? So knocking Jimmy G for not being a good pass or not having a great rating in that game is ridiculous. Uh, I'm not saying they'll have as easy a time as they did in the NFC Championship game. That was uh, surprising even to me. I didn't think it'd be, I wouldn't say it was a cakewalk, but <laughs> this, you know there might have been some desserts out there for, you know, available. Uh, but I, again, I'm not going to gamble on it because I think this one is fairly close, but I, I think you got to put your money on, on defense there. And, and frankly, Shanahan has been in this position before he blew that awful lead to the um, New England Patriots. So I think he's a year stronger, a uh, year wiser. He's he's going to know how to prepare these guys because he's been there and he's felt the pain of losing. And and uh, I would say he, he's not interested in feeling that again. I will say this towards Mahomes is that he has not faced uh, a front four like he's going to on Sunday. Uh, those guys are vicious, so vicious so that they don't – uh, blitz that much because again there's no need when you have four guys who can rush the ball like that um he's going to be in trouble and uh, i know he has a lot of options uh, patrick mahomes i hope they get open quick because they're going to have to most of the game if they want a chance to win because their run game has been average at best so all the pressure's on mahomes to make those passes and granted he's done a great job of it all year but how long can you run from those that front four, Armstead and Bosa, they're mean, and they, they have nothing but total belief in themselves, and I don't blame them. It's going to be a hard day for Mahomes. I'm surprised he's a favorite, frankly. And finally, uh, we are so pleased to end this uh, episode on it might be the most positive note in the history. And even moving forward here, I, I'm so pleased to tell you that uh, the second Canadian member of the Baseball Hall of Fame uh, now has a name. Uh, you probably already know it. Uh, born in Maple Ridge, uh, B.C., uh, He's also called Booger. You can follow him on Twitter at CanadianMooseLips33. Seven-time Gold Glove winner, three-time Silver Slugger, five-time All-Star, three-time batting title champion, over 2,000 hits, almost 400 home runs with a career average of 313. The man himself, guy had an arm he could sink a boat with. You know him. You love him. Larry Booger Walker, everybody. 2020. Class, Hall of Fame, I'm beside myself. I'm so thrilled. Yes, he did play for the Expo, so there's a little bit of a bitter taste in my mouth. That He's not a Blue Jay, but easily one of the best Canadians to ever play the game, and I'm so thrilled that he's in the Hall of Fame. And I know you are, too, and with just a big congrats to old Moose Lips himself. I couldn't be happier for you, Larry. Larry, any thoughts, man? 
Uh, some people are upset he didn't go in with the Expos, uh, but six seasons in Montreal, nine in Colorado. Absolutely, his best seasons were were in Colorado. So the air is thin up there. He's a rarefied air, thin rarefied air. Yeah, Larry. Next time you receive a major sporting award, maybe call me about your outfit ahead of time. Okay. Uh, I don't know if uh, you're trying to be funny or you let your seven-year-old dress you there. Or, uh, I saw you had a daughter there, but uh, maybe put on a suit and tie next time. A little less SpongeBob, a little more, uh, you know, something that reflects the utmost pinnacle of your career, the crowning moment of all your work for, you know, what, 48, 50 years of your life. Whatever. I'm not here to tell you how to dress. I'm just saying uh, you look like an idiot. But moving along. Couldn't be happier. Could not be happier for you, buddy. Man. Man, oh, man. Are you ready, kids? Aye, aye, Captain! I can't hear you! Aye, aye, Captain! Oh! <laughs> Who lives in a pineapple under the sea? SpongeBob SquarePants! in yellow and porous is he? SpongeBob SquarePants! If not a nonsense, be something you wish. SpongeBob 